You guys can have a seat this morning. I want to tell you about the way my life changed the day I met my neighbor. See, my wife had come to me, and we had a, about a two-year-old daughter at the time. We were living a very comfortable life in a suburb of Nashville. Things were pretty easy. And she came to me and she said, I think it's time for us to have our next child. And in fact, I think God is calling us to adopt. I said, you think God is calling us to adopt? I hadn't even heard the phone ring, (laughs) right? We weren't on the same page at all. But I really respect my wife in a lot of ways, but especially whenever it comes to um, how in tune she is with the Holy Spirit. So I said, I tell you what, give me the next 30 days, and in those 30 days, I promise you, every morning, I'll get up, I'll get into the Word, I'll seek wise counsel, I'll pray, and I'll ask for guidance from the Holy Spirit. That's what I did. Every morning, I would get up and I would say, Holy Spirit, guide me in your Word, and I would randomly, what I thought was randomly, open the Bible. Of course, I found myself in books like 1 John, James, talking about caring for the least of these. Pure religion being the care of the orphan and the widow. In Matthew twenty two thirty seven, 37, there's a verse that reached out and grabbed a hold of my heart and has not let go since. In Matthew twenty two thirty seven, 37, here's what's going on. Jesus had built a... Um, kind of a reputation as a young man who knew the word, who knew the law, right? And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, kind of wanted to trip him up. So they said, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, what's the most important command? And Jesus, without hesitation, says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love God with everything you got. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch that? So Jesus was asked what's the most important command, and he gave it. He was very clear, and I want to be very clear. It's love God with all you got. But then he added a little word. You know, I mentioned earlier how gift to God versus gift from God changed the whole context of my daughter's name. That one little word changed all that. Well, that one little word and love your neighbor as yourself changes the whole context, the whole complexion of our faith. So after I read that, I thought, oh boy, I might be in trouble on this adoption thing. Right? And I'll be honest with you, I was trying to find a way out. I was like a lawyer looking for a loophole. No offense. I was looking for a loophole, a way out, because I was scared. It seemed unknown. It seemed foreign. It seemed, it seemed like too much for us to take on. But I continued to do what I said I would do during those 30 days. I went and I sought wise counsel. Uh, I went to a friend of mine. He and I serve on the elder board together at my home church. He's a little older than I am and much more wise. And I told him my situation. And that's what it was to me, a situation. And he said, buddy, you're doing all the right things. Keep doing what you're doing. But I want you to go read the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, I had read the story of the Good Samaritan 
you know, probably 50 times as a kid growing up in Sunday school and probably 50 times as an adult. I knew the story of the Good Samaritan. But I said, okay, and I invited the Holy Spirit to guide me through that story. Little side note. See, we've been given a word, a word from God in the Holy Bible that is God breathed. And it's just as alive today and relevant today as it's ever been. Amen? So this time when the Holy Spirit guided me through the story of the Good Samaritan, it went like this. A man is walking down the street. He gets attacked by muggers, robbers, gangsters, thieves, bad guys. They beat him to within an inch of his life. They strip him naked. They take all his possessions and they kick him into the ditch and leave him for dead. Along comes a Pharisee, religious leader of Jesus' day, right? A man who knows the commands, who knows the word of God. He sees the man lying in the ditch, dying with no hope. And he moves to the other side of the road and he continues on his way. A little while later, another religious leader of that time sees the man dying. This guy is not going to make it on his own. He moves to the other side of the road and he continues on his way as well. But then along comes a Samaritan. Samaritans were an ethnic cultural group of that time period that were thought of and described as less than pigs, lower than swine. And this is a Samaritan man. He probably could have a big chip on his shoulder, right? He sees the man lying in the ditch, dying with no hope. And he just kneels down. He begins to administer first aid. I can imagine him ripping his shirt and making like a makeshift tourniquet to stop the bleeding. Reaching back into his saddlebag of his donkey, pulling out a bottle of Gatorade and saying, man, drink this, you need electrolytes, right? Doing what he can with what he has in the moment, administering first aid. He then takes the man, he puts him over the donkey, he goes to the local hotel or motel or inn, he rents a room, and he continues to salve the man's wounds. Something interesting, though. The Samaritan was already going somewhere, right? He was headed down the road. He can't be two places at once. So he goes to the innkeeper, he gives him some money and says, take care of my new friend, my new brother, my neighbor. After I read that, I invited my wife on a date. We went to our favorite Nashville restaurant, and as soon as the waitress poured the waters, I took my wife's hands, I looked her in the eyes, and I said, we have a daughter, and she's in Africa, and we need to go get her. And we began the adoption process right then. This first slide here, that is Mahi, that's Mahalat. Mahalat, that's actually one of the first pictures we got before we ever met her that that the adoption agency sent us. Mahalat was taken to was taken to the orphanage. Doesn't matter how many times I tell this story. You want to know why it doesn't matter how many times I tell this story, the reason it still rips my heart out? 
because it's my daughter. You know how many times God has seen the story of man? You know how many times that's ripped his heart out? Every single time. Because we're his sons and daughters. Mahalet was taken to the orphanage. She spent her first six weeks on a feeding tube to keep her alive, straight up because the poverty in her family was so great that once she could not nurse anymore, she had no more calories. She had no more nutrients. She had nothing else to keep her alive. She also had a parasite living in her belly. It took us 11 months back and forth to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital in Nashville to get rid of that stupid thing. So what little nutrients she was receiving was being stolen from her by this stupid thing living in her belly, right? She has a big old scar in the middle of her forehead, and I don't know what that's from. And it pains a father to not know where his kids get their wounds and their scars. But. I also have a scar in the middle of my forehead. And every night when I'm not out on the road like this, I kiss her scar goodnight. And she kisses my scar goodnight. And I'm telling you that before my eyes, I see a little girl who was beaten and broken and dying in the ditch, who is now stepping back in to the destiny that our father had written and planned for her from day one. She owns that name, Mahi, right? She loves when we go on vacation, we'll go to Florida, we'll go out to dinner, she'll point at the chalkboard in front of the restaurant, look, Dad, I'm the catch of the night, catch of the day, catch of the day, Mahi, Mahi, right? Now, I can't say that everything about adoption is perfect or easy or uh, hunky-dory. There are hard parts about that, just like anything in life, right? And we have a certain swagger here in America. I know you know what I mean because you live in Texas. Swagger, right? And in other countries, they don't necessarily have that. So Mahi's kind of struggling, if you can go to the next. (laughs) Struggling to adapt to swagger. This is a little girl who's this tall. She's nine now. She's this tall. She's got an afro out to here. She walks around our, our suburb of Nashville quoting scripture. She's like praying over people. People are like, mahi, mahi. And I'm like, why does everybody know you? I'm the one with songs on the radio. Everybody knows you, right? And here's the deal. It's because God is honoring one act of obedience. It's not that I, my wife and I did anything amazing, superhero, cool, great, none of that. It makes me feel super uncomfortable when people come up and pat me on the back and say, man, what you did was awesome. No, you don't understand. I've done so many things wrong. I've disobeyed so many times. But that one time, I said, okay, God, I'll obey. I'll follow what you're prompting me to do. And I've gotten it wrong since then a few times as well, quite a few times. But that one time... I said, okay, and he's honoring that obedience. And he's creating a ripple effect around that decision through little Mahi. And we're seeing lives changed all around 
just the story of obedience to the Father to do what he put in black and white and red to care for the orphans and the widows, the least of these, amen? Can we watch a short video together? You having trouble with it? Okay, we will skip the video this morning. That's totally fine. I had the opportunity a few years back to go to the Dominican Republic with Compassion International. I got to meet a young woman, 17 years old, who was graduating from the Compassion program. She had been in the program since she was five. She took us on a home visit, and during the home visit, she was so proud to show us around her 200-square-foot dirt floor, dilapidated, rusted-out old shack that she shared with her aunt and her cousin and her mom. At one point, she was sitting kind of over off to the side with a backpack in her lap. If we could go to that slide, great. Sitting with a backpack in her lap and tears rolling down her face. Our group leader went over and put his arm around her and said, sweetheart, are you okay? And she looked up not knowing we were all staring at her and wiped her eyes. And she poised herself like I've never seen anyone do. And she looked each of us in the eye and she said, oh, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because I'm moved. Because I'm about to share with you my most prized possession. She said, the $38 a month that it costs through compassion from my sponsor, gave me food when I was hungry, gave me clean water when I didn't have access to clean water, gave me an education that I most certainly would not have had. But then she opened up the backpack and pulled out a notebook. She said, but it's these letters. And it was every letter she had received since she was five years old for 12 years from her sponsor. She said, it's these letters that gave me hope. It's these letters that spoke life into me. It's these letters that gave me Jesus. I walked away from, from there that day and I had, I had two thoughts. My first thought was, I need to text my wife right now and tell her to have Ella, my oldest daughter, and Mahi, my second daughter, write letters right now to the two girls that we sponsor through Compassion International in Africa. I didn't realize what a big deal those letters were, but now I do. My next thought was this. When we help someone, it helps. But when we help in Jesus' name, it heals. Not just today, amen. It doesn't just heal today, it heals for eternity, just like all of us. Healed for eternity because of the blood of Christ. So I ask you today, who's your neighbor? Is it the person you're sitting beside? 
the person you physically live beside in your apartment, your duplex, your, your house, your college dorm room. You see what the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, the wise counsel, and prayer revealed to me was that my neighbor is defined at the intersection of someone else's need and my ability to meet that need. No more and no less. My neighbor is at the intersection of someone else's need and my ability to meet that need. No more and no less. Doing what I can with what I have in the moment. Mahi was my neighbor. Is my neighbor. You guys are my neighbor. If you need me, I'm your neighbor. So I'm going to ask you today to sponsor a child through Compassion International. I got to tell you, I've never been to a church where the pastor had the idea of having the children pray for the children. How powerful is that? Talk about a ripple effect. Not just the ripple effect that's going to happen because you guys are going to step up and give Jesus an action of food and water and schooling all in Jesus' name because you're going to step up and do that. The ripple effect around these kids is going to be great. But what about the ripple effect of the example that you're setting for your children? And the children that are coming up here and, and praying and understanding and getting the seed put into them that is... We are here to do God's will, to participate in God's will, not Ty's will, not Joel's will, Jesus' will. Amen.